Hi, this is Jeff with the SBCA podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on our podcast or would like more information about the podcast, please contact us at sbcapod at gmail.com. That's sbcapod at gmail.com. Let's get to the show. SBCA podcast. I am your host, Jeff, and I'm so glad that you're here with us today. This podcast is for you, camp directors, camp managers, camp volunteers, whoever you are. This podcast is designed to give you the information to make you successful to help your camp grow to its fullest potential content, connections, and camps. That's what we're doing here, and we hope you enjoy. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to the SBCA podcast. It is my honor and great privilege to have Jimmy Huffman, director of Camp Caraway, here on the podcast with us today. Jimmy has been in the camp ministry for over 23 years, starting his 23rd year at Caraway, right, Jimmy? That's correct. We are so, so thankful to have him on the podcast. Jimmy, I sat in your conference at the SBCA podcast. And the one thing that I remember from right off the bat, uh, even beyond all the the information that was shared, was there wasn't enough room in the spot that they gave you to be able to hold everybody that wanted to hear from you. So that I think that speaks highly to your legacy in the ministry. I think that speaks greatly to who you are and the value of the things that you have to say. And it is my it is my real honor to have you on uh, this podcast and to be hearing this information again, because I understand why that room was packed. I understand why people were standing out at, at the door trying to hear all of this stuff. So thank you for agreeing to be on with us today. Sure. I, I appreciate the opportunity, Jeff. Uh, you know, and I'm impressed. I'm a low tech guy. So you've impressed me uh, that you you can do this and put this out there for other Christian uh, professionals to to interact with, so uh, I think it's pretty cool. And so, thanks for thanks for allowing me to be part of it. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And you know, this is just a labor of love. So this is just something that we're doing. And hopefully, as we continue to do more of these, this is this is information that would be valuable to all our Christian camp uh, brothers and sisters who are out there struggling in the ministry and and trying to do all the stuff that that we know you know that we we're all doing so it's it's kind of fun it's a great opportunity to to uh to share and to encourage one another and I think that's really what what you were doing with your seminar in this and I I called it the the 10 habits of highly effective camps and conference centers. I think you might've had another name for it. Did, was there another name that you had for that conference that I missed? It was something like um, successful standards uh, or standards that most uh, successful camps uh, have. Um, something like that. <laughs> I can't remember either. I don't have it right here in front of me. I think basically when you start using words like success and leadership and standards, a lot of camp ministry folks uh, perk up and they say, hey, I want to be a part of that. I want to find out, especially what other camps are doing to be successful. And uh, so, you know, people have interest in that and that uh, we all want to learn that way. Absolutely. And, you know, the stuff that you were sharing in that seminar, uh, I'm looking at the paper that I saved from there and we ran out of papers even. There were so many people coming in there. This stuff seems, it almost seems like it should be common sense, but the way you have presented it and the stuff that, that is on here, it's it's one of those things that you don't think about 
unless you unless you've been in the ministry for a while or you've had the experiences that you've had and you gathered a lot of this from visiting camps being a part of uh, the camp ministry and going around. Tell us a little bit about that. Tell us about your journey and how you came up with some of this information. Well, as you mentioned, I've, I've been at Caraway for 23 years, um, but I've been director 16. I'm in my 17th year as director. But um, what I wanted to know was what was happening in the camping industry. And I really felt like um, when I became, I'd been director of a couple of smaller camps, but Caraway's by far the largest. But, you know, to really learn what was going on, what was good, the bad and the ugly uh, in the camping world was to visit other camps. So I set a personal goal of visiting 100 different camps. And I, I think I shared in the seminar that I'm at 127 now. And I've really been intentional about not just going to Baptist camps. I've been to uh, many different types of Christian camps, denominational, non-denominational. Uh, I've also been to nonprofit camps. Uh, I'm not nonprofit, but well, private nonprofit, uh, for-profit camps. I've been to camps overseas, and pretty much, I don't. I've never counted the states, but I would say probably thirty different states. So I've tried to really. Uh, not just stay in a bubble, but really try to break out of that and find out what was going on in the camping world, especially faith-based camping uh, was my real target, but I did look at other other types of camps. So this information really comes from a wealth of research and firsthand experience from a variety of different models and thought processes of how to do camp and conference center ministry. That's probably that's probably one of the things that makes this so impactful is it doesn't just come from a bottle. It comes from this very wide array of what you've been able to experience and who you've been able to talk to. So I, I want to jump in a little bit to to some of these uh, some of these things. Uh, I know you don't have it right there in front of you. I've got it here. I can kind of go through it one by one if you want, but you probably have this memorized. So tell us a little bit about these um, and uh, just kind of give your take on if you were if you were to make the perfect camp, this is this is what it would entail. Yeah, when I started this, um, I tried to see if and I found out that most camps are very welcoming. Uh, they're not very suspicious in the camping world. We're, we're eager to share things, um, what we know and what we don't know. And uh, so I tried to at least be an overnight guest at most of the camps I visited. Uh, some I haven't. It was a you know a day trip type of thing. But but I, I wrote down notes of every camp I went to. You know about their where they were located, their kind of their feature, whether they were on a lake in the mountains. Uh, a metropolitan area, you know, just just things about them. So what happened with that uh, during COVID when I had a little extra time, especially in 2020, uh, I, I pulled that file out and I started just really reading back through those notes and really trying to pull out of all this information and put it together in, uh, in a format that I could really use for myself, but also to share with other people. So that's where I, where I came up with these 10, top 10. These really stood out as I was looking back through my, my research, for the lack of a better word. And um, one of those, the first one was focus leadership. You know, every, every facility I went to, you would have, you'd have either someone that was brand new on the job, you know, uh, that was, had been there a month, you would go to some and the person had been there 30 years, but no matter, uh, they, they have to have a focus and you could tell pretty quickly if uh, someone was really bought in that their camp was, was their, um, I don't, I don't want to say their life, but it was a huge part of who they were as a, as a Christian, uh, or a camping professional. And so, but they were focused on their, their facility. And by focused, I meant that they, they really could talk about where they were at, where they had been and where they were going. And so for me, if I, if I was with a camp director 
And for the first hour, we just kind of wandered around and there was no, you could really tell very quickly, there's no vision. They didn't really talk about uh, what they were dreaming of doing. All they were talking about is what they couldn't get done. And that just really stood out to me that, that the leader had to be focused and it really went from the top down. The staff would be focused if the leader was focused. And it was not only looking at the present, but looking at the future. And they really studied, you know, what was going on in their community and their denomination and their um, work environment. So that that was the number one uh, for most of the successful camps that I visited was that they had a focused uh, leader. That is that is phenomenal. And, you know, as you're as you're talking about that focused leadership, I know the especially coming through 2020 and even parts of 2021, uh, and, and maybe for some camps even up into this year, it's very easy to get your eyes off of those things that you wanted to do because now you're looking at all the things that you you know all the ways that your plans have been thwarted. Um, man, is there is there something that you would say? Okay, if you're looking in that vein, if you had those plans, how how can somebody that's in that role, get back on track with their focused leadership. Because I, I think as a director, there's, and you've seen this probably more than I have, but the majority of them are visionary leaders. They're in that role because they see something to go forward. Not a lot of them are, are there, um, or I hope a lot of them aren't there, uh, just to, just to fill a spot or to have a job. Most of them want to see the ministry move forward. How do you get them back on track in that focused leadership model? Well, I have to say that, you know, not every uh, facility that I visited was a was a happy place. Uh, there was some that it was very, very tough work. They were in a very tough situation. And so many, um, especially some, well, not just smaller camps, it was larger facilities too. They were just overwhelmed, you know, with everything, um, you know, finances weren't good. Attendance wasn't good. Um, and so when I counseled those folks, for the lack of a better word, really, you know, I'm no expert by any means, but I just encouraged them. You, you have to start small, but you have to start now. Pick out, pick out three things right now that, that's an issue at your camp. And whether that is, um, you know, I, I remember one incident where, uh, it was at a smaller camp, and the director, we were sitting in his office, and he was talking about the, the mud on the floor of the dining room, that they just couldn't get out, keep the kids from getting mud all over the floor of the dining room. So, so we went outside, and, and sure enough, the kids had, weren't using the sidewalk. They were shortcutting it through the grass, and they had worn the grass out to where it was just a muddy path leading to the dining room. And so, you know, I, I made a simple suggestion, well, how much does a load of gravel cost? And he said, what do you mean? I said, just go buy a load of gravel and gravel that path. You know, it's obvious that's the, the kids are coming that direction. They're not going, you know, the long way on the sidewalk. Just, just deal with that small, short path. That one problem that seemed to really be on his mind, and that wasn't going to be a tremendous amount of money, uh, but he could solve that problem today and or tomorrow. And uh, and it would just take that off his plate and he wouldn't have a muddy dining room floor anymore. But he was so overwhelmed with everything else. He could not see the simplicity of fixing that small problem, uh, that one problem. So I always encourage those directors, start small, but start now. Find those two or three things, those two or three problems that you can come up with a solution to very quickly. And then from there, you start moving to the bigger things. That is, that is phenomenal. That is, what a, what a great example, because I think we all have those things. We get so myopic on, you know, it, there's this way and yet there's a simple solution that can solve that and get that stress uh, out of our lives and on our way and started down a path of having a focused leadership. And that is, what a, what a great what a great thing and i think that that trickles down uh once you have a leader that's doing that and i think that's that's kind of in your next point is it trickles down into the staff correct absolutely you could tell very quickly um if the staff was passionate about what they did 
you know, if you're if you're maintenance guys, if it was just a job to them, uh, you know, it was just a, it was just a paycheck, or if they truly were passionate about keeping that facility looking great, creating a great experience for the guests, they took pride in their work, and and not just maintenance, but across the board, all housekeeping staff, food service staff. There was just a lot of passion and pride in what they did, and if it was a face faith-based facility, you could tell that people were serving their 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 Lord, um, serving God through what they did each day. And that really stood out. And if you've got a focus leader and a passionate staff, that's going to take you a long way. When we're looking at leadership and we're looking at the staff, I've, I've always heard that, you know, that attitude kind of trickles down no matter where you go and what you're doing. If you have a poor attitude as a leader, then that's going to filter into your staff. And if you have a positive attitude as a leader, as you, if you're leading well, if you have a direction and everybody, you've, you've got that vision to get everybody on board. Um, man, that when the staff is in line, there's nothing better than watching that train move forward. I mean, you just seems like everything gets done and everything, everybody's happy to do it. One of the things that, that I've determined, Jeff, was when you had a passionate staff, there was very little conflict because people were really caring about the outcome of, of their service. And when they're, when they're, and sometimes people are overly passionate and that can cause some issues. But for the most part, the staffs that were very passionate about their service at their camp had very little conflict uh, among themselves. And so uh, that, that stood out, you know, a passionate staff is a staff that is working together as a team. Absolutely. And that focuses. And as we trickle this down even further, when they're passionate and they're doing those things, that affects how your guests and the people that come to your camps, um, how they receive all of that, how the activities are run, how what you have to offer is uh, is is kept up with even. Absolutely. You know, when when a camp, no matter its size, whether it has, you know, 50 beds or a thousand beds, you have to maintain what you have and um, you can let anything run down doesn't have anything to do with the, the the size of your camp it's the quality of your care and so if you've just got you know an outdoor basketball court and a volleyball net and a few of those type of recreational things but you keep those well manicured you always have nets on your basketball goal your your volleyball net is talk and the balls are pumped up you know you take a lot of pride and you keep up um, with your equipment you keep everything in good order and that shows the guests and so uh, you know you can go to a thousand bed facility and you walk into their recreation space and everything's torn apart it's broken it's run down it's not maintained the staff is not trained um, you know it so size has nothing to do with that it's just about the care that you put into to what you have and, and how much you, uh, you know, keep that up and maintain it. And also about staff training. You could tell very quickly if you had a staff that was trained in any kind of, whether it was a wagon ride, uh, they knew how to do that properly in safety, or if it was leading a high ropes course, but they were well-trained and well-versed in how to do that, that kind of thing stands out. So you've got to have well-trained staff and maintain those, those, uh, options of service that you offer your guests and you know for a lot of camp directors um i learned very early on you've got to see uh staff training as an investment and not an expense and so most of the very successful camps that i visited that was the approach they took training their staff uh was an investment not an expense on the bottom line and and that's that's really difficult sometimes, especially when you're talking about smaller budgets, smaller things. That's one of the areas that often gets cut the most. But it's it's that area that really, if you see it as valuable as it really is, you're investing into the future of your ministry and enhancing that ministry by spending that time and that and that money. I, we had a opportunity to speak with uh, Jeremy Jackson who who they do some of that that counseling and coaching. And that was one of the things that he talked about was, you know, when you spend the time and effort to train your staff, 
that is a benefit to your ministry moving forward. You're you're building into them so that they can they can pour that out into others, and that's why what a what a what an often underutilized resource that we have when we're not building into our staff. And, and you're right; it, it is expensive, uh, but there are ways that you can um, grow your staff without spending a lot of money. Just like going to another camp, you know, find another camp that's you know an hour away from you, uh, whether it's larger or smaller, but one that you think is doing a really good job, and take your staff there for the day. You know, take your maintenance guy, take your food service uh, person, take your uh, recreation people, and let them just go talk talk shop with another camping professional. And so that's that's a very easy and actually enjoyable way uh, to train your staff. Um, you know, if you if you buy your food from a food service company, uh, call that company and say, hey, do you have a you have a staff chef that can come. And, and spend a day with our with our food service people. They'll probably provide that for free because you're buying product from them and you're a customer. So there's ways that you can invest in them without spending a lot of money. You just have to be a little creative. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's so great for people to hear because the first reaction is, oh, that's going to be expensive. That's going to be cost a lot. But there are ways to build into your staff. And sometimes it's just building your passion and sharing your passion with them and the sharing the things that you've learned as a director with those with that staff and getting them that opportunity to like you said go to visit another camp or hear from somebody else you know how they do things and how they accomplish things and without having the attitude of well that's them that's not us it, just getting that experience and i think that that encourages them and it, it it ignites that fire and drive for them to continue to do uh, more at your ministry and see the potential of what you as a director have a vision for in your ministry. That's that's so good. Now, as we're as we're talking about that, we talked about some large and some small camps. Uh, I know on here you have something that um, you know your facility is uh, the potential of your facility is is comparable to your size. Tell us a little bit about that. I went to some camps that had really overbuilt. You know, they had had a, a really good summer, and for whatever reason, uh, they decided, okay, we need to build another 100-bed cabin. Well, that wasn't sustainable. And so, uh, you know, they, they've overbuilt. Now their attendants, they've got beds used that are empty, not being used, but they some are even in debt, still paying on those empty buildings. And so the, the camps that I've felt like were very successful, were really, uh, their whole facility, their dining, their living space, their meeting space, uh, their worship space, all um, was about the size of their potential. In other words, if you have 200 beds, then maybe your dining hall seats 225, your worship center seats 250. Uh, you know, you're, you, you wanted, you didn't want to be undersized or overbuilt. And so those camps that really found that niche, of, okay, this is who we are, and we're going to reach this potential and try to try to maximize that potential were the ones that were really successful. An empty bunk is a perishable commodity. So once that bunk is empty for a day, you never regain that. So uh, you want to fill your bed space, whether it be hotel rooms or bunk beds, as much as you can because it's, it's perishable. You never can go back and reclaim an empty, uh, an empty night. So uh, you, you've got to uh, try to reach that potential and live within that, you know, what that maximum potential is. Well, that's, you know, you don't think about that, but you can't go back in time and, and reclaim that empty bunk. You might fill it somewhere down the road, but you've still missed an opportunity to, to fill it here. And that's, that is, uh, you know, again, that's one of those things you don't really think about. You think, okay, well, what's the, you know, how many, how many nights do I have things filled up or how, how much do we do over the course of the year? And really what we need to be focused on is we, how can we continue to reach our maximum potential here? How can we continue to, to fill those spots and, and to get more people here? Because more people here means more people hearing the gospel. It means more impact for the ministry overall. It means more money coming in the ministry so that we can do more and potentially maybe build something else that help us to expand that, but not to get 
to a um, uh, a point where we're overbuilding. How do we how do we balance that? I know you talked about those camps where finding that niche. How do how does a camp kind of find that niche in not n- not overbuilding because we have this great vision and not underbuilding because we're afraid we're we're going to put something out there that's not going to get filled. I really think you have to figure out who you are. You know, are you an adult retreat center? Are you a youth camp? Are you a children's camp? Uh, now, some camps are able to be all things to all people, but most of us aren't. And so we really have to figure out who we are. And once you kind of figure that out, then you 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 build your camp based on that. What is our ministry going to be? If, we, if we're going to focus on youth, if we're going to focus on the summer, the summer is going to be our main uh, point of uh, ministry, then build to the summer. You know, if your attendance is very low in the summer or, or in the winter, and you really don't even uh, recruit groups in the winter, then put those apples that you have in the summertime basket and and really figure out, you know, what really works for you, what's your niche, and what's your ministry going to be. You know, here at Caraway, we, we're fortunate we do have adult space and we have um, uh, children and youth space, but we have to, we're almost running two different types of ministries. We're running a conference ministry and we're running that camping ministry. Um, and so we, we, but we have to focus on each of them, each of those differently. If we start blending them too much, uh, then that's when we get in trouble. And so you just have to figure out, you know, okay, what is our sweet spot, you know? Um, we can feed 200 people in our dining hall very comfortably. It's not too loud. Um, you know, we have enough seating. Uh, everybody's comfortable. We can feed, you know, 200 people in 20 minutes or less. Um, then that's your sweet spot. You know, don't try to take a group of 350 in a 200 seat uh, dining hall. That's tempting to do. And we've all done it. But that's not really uh, where you're that's really not your potential spot. You know, every now and then you do that, but you always need to come back to what we really are and who we, what we have to work with. And that information should be pretty readily available to, to us if we're tracking, if we are looking at our numbers and being able to just kind of do uh, an assessment of, okay, what's our majority use at different times of the year? Uh, who, where are we, where are we having the most impact? Where are we seeing the most revenue and the most usage uh, on our site? Those, those things should be readily available, right? They should be. You know, you can't measure it um, if you can't, or you can't manage it if you can't measure it. So numbers don't lie. So you need to, to uh, really keep up with your numbers uh, in whatever format you can. Look at those numbers. Sometimes we think we know the right answer and we go back and look um, at our numbers and say, hey, we were wrong. Um, a few years ago, we did a, an assessment and we thought we were doing all of these large groups here at Caraway, which for us is around 150 people. And we just thought we were just doing a, so many large groups. But when we really looked at the numbers, we found out that our average group is the size of 40 people. And that was our bread and butter. Now, what happens a lot of times we will have multiple groups of 40 people on our campus. It makes it seem like 150. But um, we were but that group of 40 people is really our niche. And we serve those people very well, whether it's at the conference center or at the camp. That is fantastic. And knowing who you are helps you then to kind of craft your your business model after that. That is true. And, uh, you know, we we all need a sustainable business model um, that doesn't fluctuate, you know, greatly from year to year. Um, We all have budgets. And if your budget is all of a sudden, uh, you know, changing for thousands of dollars either you're cutting it or you're you're expanding it that's probably not good most budgets need to be pretty consistent year after year uh you that way you know your audience you know it always you always pick up a few extra groups or you lose a few that can affect your budget but for most of us to really be solvent we know kind of that um again kind of that sweet spot this is where we come in financially uh, if you look back 10 years, what's the 10-year average? 
of our budgets and just see where you're at and where you need to be. And when you've got that and you know that's a budget that you can live with, if you if you have surplus, great. You know how to use it. If you're going to come in um, uh, less than your budget, you know how to make that up. And you just can, uh, it's not that hard. It's not that shocking to you if you kind of keep that budget close uh, every year. And, you know, uh, it needs to be a, a, a biblically-based ministry for us that are faith-based. But uh, we also need to be smart, and we need to have the best business practices. Um, and so we need a good business model that's ministry-focused or ministry-driven, but it's financially um you know, sustainable. You know, I've done a lot of uh, SWOT analysis and those types of things over the years. And that's always one of those things that people, they want to hold on to, you know, these sacred cows or these different things because they say, you know, this is really, really ministry. It makes great ministry sense. But then you look at the business side of it, it doesn't really make great financial sense. And it doesn't have a uh it doesn't balance itself out and then you have those things that make great financial sense but really have very little ministry impact and that's a very tough balance to try to strike but as a christian ministry camp we we really have to do that we have to we have to let go of some of those sacred cows that we feel like might be really good ministry but are really damaging the ministry on the business end of it. And on the same tick, those things that we think are really great because they're a business part of the ministry really could be damaging our ministry witness if we're not handling those things correctly. Would you agree? Absolutely. And to be an effective leader, you have to have that ability to make those decisions. Um you need the authority and you need the ability to make those decisions. And some of them are not easy. You know, it's tough to say, this is a great thing. Um, you know, it's fun. People really enjoy it, but it's not paying for itself. So we, we can no longer can do this um, activity or, um, but on the, on the other side of that, sometimes we can say, you know what, this is a great ministry opportunity. We can really reach out and make a difference in some families um, or some uh, young people. And so, you know, we're going to spend this money just because we, it's a it's a good ministry opportunity that we want to take advantage of. But that doesn't mean you can do that all the time. So you just you have to balance that. Uh, money does drive the mission, but uh, the mission is, uh, you know, steers steers the boat you know we don't want to go against what god called us to be um not you know not very often you know we we stay within that that ministry uh parameters that we've set for ourselves and know that this really works for us absolutely and so once you've kind of figured out you know what your what your niche is there between you know that sustainable ministry and and uh business type model and you've kind of figured out who your groups are uh you you suggest here that you know that's who your focus goes to right yeah you need that core group of who you who you're going to serve uh every camp that that i've visited that was again um that seemed very successful had a core group that they marketed to and that they served whether that's whether that's churches or schools or um the, the community and families they really had a core group that they they knew this is a this is a core part of who we are in our ministry and and they focused on that they marketed to that core group they they kind of planned um you know their their ministry to really reach out more to that to that core group of supporters that they have and it's been proven over time um you know here for the last 20 years, we've done an environmental ed program. And when we started, we didn't know if it was going to work or not, but we've really found a niche within the five county area around our camp. And we offer this creation-based environmental ed program to our fifth graders, especially fifth grade classes. And so it not only become a great uh, touch point for ministry, but it also became a profit center for us. And we're making money at it. And so uh, when those two things come together, 
that's when you really know you're on to something. And those are the things that you have to pursue. Yeah. And, you know, that touches on, I think the, the next part is, you know, when you've, when you've kind of identified that, you know, you're using, especially in your example of your environmental ed, which I think is phenomenal. I, you, you're using some, you're using a location, you're using the resources that you have available to your site there. And I think that's another point that you make here is you're, you're maximizing what God has given you uh, at the camp facility that you are to enhance that ministry. If you're using your geographical location, your advantage, you're way ahead of the game. Um, you know, for us, we're a, we're a hardwood forest facility. We have a lot of land, you know, we're blessed that way. So for us to try to do beach type activities doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, you're there at Lake Hill, so you want to take advantage of the lake and the water and, of course, uh, Florida's climate. Uh, so, you know, you wouldn't do wintertime. Uh, you know, snow tubing is not something that you would want to try at Lake Hill. So, you know, <laughs> you have to take advantage of where you are and the resources that are around you. You know, if you're 10 miles from a whitewater river, uh, by all means, you need to be doing whitewater trips, either contracting those out with a with a company or doing it yourself. You need to take advantage of that of that resources there for you. Yeah, God has has definitely gifted. Uh, I think in place to each camp in a specific location. I mean, you don't really, you don't really find camps in the midst of a um, a, a drudge pit or, or you know something like that. I mean, God really, it seems like any camp that you kind of go to. I mean, yes, there are challenges to some, but but in those challenges present other opportunities. I I had an opportunity to serve at a camp and. Idaho, and we had um, 20 acres that went straight up the side of the mountain. But man, what a great, uh, what a great adventure course, you know, we can make out of that. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just those, it's just taking what God has already provided you and seeing it in a way that says, hey, this is, this is why people want to come here. This is what we have we can capitalize on to make a greater impact on the ministry. And, and I think that's what you're, you're kind of alluding to there is, you know, you, you've got these things wherever you're located, whether it's, whether it's in Florida, whether it's in North Carolina, whether it's in Michigan or in uh, Wisconsin or Oregon, you you've got something special and specific that God has placed you placed around you in there that you can use to uh, enhance the ministry of your camp and and utilize and and when you find that and you capitalize on that, um, you're you're doing something you're you're fulfilling that mission and that reason that God has placed that camp in that area. Well, and that that also goes for offsite, um, you know, opportunities. Uh, some camps are afraid to use what's in their, um, you know, within their region. You know, for us, we're 15 minutes from the North Carolina Zoo. So, do we market the zoo? Absolutely. You come, bring your your church group, your school group, spend the night with us, go visit the zoo. Um, you know, you're not that far from Disney. And so, um, you know, a school group traveling from another state, you know, could stay at Lake Yale, you know, much cheaper than at a hotel, much better environment. But, you know, they could take a day trip to Disney, you know, those kind of things. So, um, you know, take advantage of what's what's around you. Don't be afraid of those things. We have a really nice water park that's about 30 minutes from us, you know, something that we will never have on our campus. But we encourage groups, you know, they're here. For a few days, uh, go to Emerald Point, you know, take take a half a day and take your church group to Emerald Point, but stay with us, have your meals with us. And so take advantage of those things offsite that, that you can use to promote your own facility. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes I know, like in the case of uh, Camp Baldwin, some of those things just kind of happen around you and you've been there for years and all of a sudden they're building a water park, not not 10 miles down the road from you. That's just a blessing. I mean, that's a, that's a real blessing in disguise for, for some of those people and uh, for some of those camps. So yeah, absolutely use and utilize that. And, um, you know, that's, that's how you get people in, interested in coming in uh, you know, coming and staying with you and then getting that opportunity to, to hear the gospel. Yeah. Those things might draw them, but then, then when they're there, 
there's something different about being on location with you than there is staying in a Marriott or staying somewhere else in some some uh, secular hotel that may be a little bit closer to uh, those types of amenities. But you have something special, and that's that's the spirit of God there where you are. And so that's that's phenomenal. That is really really good. So we're kind of we're we're kind of getting close to the to the the final couple of points here and I think one of the the things we sometimes don't have a lot of control over uh, depending on the situation of the camp depending on you know if they're an associational camp or if they're a uh, independent not independent in the sense of their own their own 501 uh, c3 camp um, you know, knowing who your supporters are, who who's going to stand behind you, who's going to back you. Um, talk to us a little bit about that, knowing that and capitalizing on some of those opportunities. Yeah, most most successful camps that I visited, and I use that word success, they were they were doing well. You know, not that they didn't have any problems and that they didn't have some issues that they're working on, but but overall, that camp was very healthy. It was very solvent. Uh, you know, again, the staff were engaged and, and people seem to enjoy their jobs. But um, for us, we're on by the Baptist State Convention in North Carolina. So that's always, uh, you know, first in our minds, how we are going to serve the churches of North Carolina, uh, the Baptist churches of North Carolina. You know, that's that's what we exist for. And so you always need to remember who you work for, who you serve um, and really know who that core group of supporters are, you know, who could have predicted the pandemic, you know, 2020, a lot of us started looking around, how are we going to keep the doors open? How are we going to survive? And we found comfort in those churches, uh, our denomination, those families that, that really uh, have connected with our facility over the years and are our true uh, backbone of support. And so many of us survive because of those relationships. And so you need to know who those people are and and really build those relationships so that they're in good times and bad. And and really, you know, know, understand, uh, you know, again, who you work for. And and that really helps you as you frame uh, the ministry that you have. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that's that's something that you need to do and you need to start developing those relationships now and not when something like a pandemic happens. You I mean those need to be in place and strong and and vibrant so that when something like this happens or when something like what we went through happens, you've got that support already there. You're not trying to garner that support in the midst of a foxhole. You're actually already on their minds. Their first thought is, oh man, what's going on down there at the camp? Because they already know and appreciate you. You know, in some camps who depend on, uh, you know, fundraising, most of those camps that are doing it well, uh, the director has a short list. You know, he has uh, five names and five phone numbers that he knows if the camp gets in a real pinch, these are the first five people I'm going to call. You know, uh, we we just had a walk-in freezer go out. It's going to be a $10,000 expense. He, one of those five people is who's, he's gonna, who he's going to call first. And so uh, for us, you know, fundraising is not a big part of what we do. But I know those people within our convention that, um, you know, if we have a, a storm that blows through and we just have a tremendous amount of trees on our property that come down, you know, I know those people that I'm going to call and say, hey, we, we've got a big group coming in. We've got to clean up our campus. Uh, we need your help. And so um, know who your real supporters are, those people that see a lot of value in your facility, and uh, they want you to succeed. They're, they're part of your, your off-campus team. Absolutely. And I'd like to add, if I can, and, and and I feel presumptuous just even even asking to add something to your list here, but in, in the same vein as that, um, not just those who are supporting you that way, but getting involved and being a part of your brother and sister camps that can support you in prayer, sometimes send help when, you, you know, you're talking about when storms blow through. I'm thinking of, you know, 
how our camps uh, in, you know, in Louisiana, you know, kind of went and they kind of backed up some of those camps that were harder hit. And, uh, you know, that is the value of that, being a part of an association of camps, being a part of an, a, of a group of like-minded directors and people that are willing to get in the trenches with you and help you in your time of need. What a, what a valuable resource that can be. And what is a valuable resource it's been to us, it's been to me personally, it's been to I know several others who will be either listening to the podcast or joining us at a conference or uh, or just out there. Um, add add your comments on on the value of that if you don't mind, Jimmy. Oh, I, I support that hundred percent, Jeff. I'm, you know, I've been doing this a long time. Uh, you know, even in camping before I came to Caraway. And so that networking that you can have with other professionals, people that really understand exactly what you do every day, uh, it may be on a different level, but that they understand the problems you deal with. Um, that has, I have learned so much from other camp directors visiting other camps. That's been so, uh, so much a part of my growth as a camping uh, professional and uh, as a minister, uh, camping minister, Southern Baptist Camping Association. Uh, has been a true partner to me. And, uh, you know, when when the pandemic hit, I started sending out emails to the guys that I have a little bit closer relationship with and said, what are you going to do? You know, what are you hearing? You know, I wanted their advice. I was seeking their counsel. Uh, same way we're very involved with uh, Christian Camp and Conference Association, 3CA, and our section. Uh, you know, I had five guys on a conference call within a couple of days of everything shutting down in March saying, you know, what are you hearing? Especially those here in North Carolina, what, you know, how are you understanding this? And that just brought so much comfort, encouragement, uh, but also advice. Um, and I think that's invaluable. And again, it goes back to the investment in those kind of organizations. I think it's very worthwhile and it just has meant the world to me in my, in my 35 years in Christian camping. Absolutely. And you're right. That that advice that that hearing, you know, and it's it's probably sometimes something that you already know, but hearing it come from somebody who is not directly connected to what you have going on, but that can speak into you at a level that you know they know what you what you're going through. It is it's so powerful. It's so uh, invaluable, like you said, that uh, I can't. I can't see why somebody wouldn't want to be a part of that. You know, being a part of of camps. You said this earlier on in the in the interview that you know we're we're some of the best sharers in the world. It, there's very very little contention between camps. We enjoy sharing those ideas, sharing and helping one another because we see what that is, and that's the value. Those are the values that we're that we're teaching the people that come to us. You know, we're when we're trying to be the examples of that. So, being a part of the SBCA and and, and grouping up with uh, fellow directors and people that uh, can stand shoulder to shoulder with you is um, is an extremely extremely uh, profitable relationship for you and. For you to others, you may be, you know, for for bigger associations that feel like, you know, hey, you know, we're we're pretty big, and you know, we kind of got our own thing going on. The value that you have to be able to share that same stuff with people that may not have as big a facility or may not have it all going on, the those kinds of things just help increase and enhance the ministry. So one of the encouragements that I would have and one of the things that I hope that this podcast will do for those uh, for those would be to encourage them, get involved, get out there, teach others. If you've already got it figured out, great. Um, I believe that none of us really do have it all figured out, but if you're that guy that does, you know, teach others, get out there and share what you know so that the ministry of camp can continue on that can, can be, you know, those areas can be impacted. We're not in competition with one another. We're all striving forward to go forward in the name of the Lord. Jimmy, uh, this has been phenomenal, phenomenal, great information. What would you like to leave us with today? Well, uh, just a personal note, you know, for me, this, this journey of trying to visit other camps has been really rewarding personally, uh, you know, traveling 
through another state and I've called up many camp directors and say, hey, I'm I'm passing through your area. Would you put me up for the night? Sometimes that's that's been in a buck bed. Sometimes it's been in the hotel room. But, uh, you know, they put me up, never charge me. A lot of times we have a time of fellowship, prayer, uh, encouragement. Plus, you know, you get to see another facility. So it's really been a, a fun part of being in Christian camping, Jeff. And it's been uh, more than just learning, but it's been rewarding for me personally. Absolutely. And that's, that's kind of been my experience. I have, I have not visited anywhere near as many camps as you have. I hope to one day be able to say that I have been to a hundred and what is it? 123 or 136. What did you say it was? Yeah. I I hope to be able to say that I've been, I've been to anywhere near that number of camps because what a blessing. I mean, what a, uh, what an opportunity that is. And that's one of the things that my wife and I enjoy is when we're out somewhere, we see a camp, we're like, well, let's pull in there to see what they got going on. <laughs> well, you know, uh, we're right in the middle of North Carolina. So if you're traveling through, you come by and see us, we'll take good care of you. Absolutely. We will do it. Jimmy, thank you again so much for being a part of the podcast, being on here with us today. Really appreciate you, your ministry, your heart for the ministry, and pouring that heart out into others uh, and the legacy you have. We're looking forward to being at your facility next year for the SBCA conference. I can't wait to be there. We're looking forward to having you. It's called Joy on the Mountain uh, is our theme. Uh, I think it's... uh, February 20th through the 23rd, and we really hope uh, a lot of people can make it. We're going to try to put on a, a really good program and have a good time. Well, we're going to we're going to promote that. We're going to get it out there. We're going to try to get as many people as possible to come to this SBCA conference up at Caraway. Jimmy, again, thank you so much. I look forward to having you. We want to have you back on the podcast at some point. Would you be willing to do that? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Be an honor. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, and we will uh, we'll see you again next time, okay? Thank you. Thank you. And that was our interview with Jimmy Huffman of Caraway Camps. What a great, great guy. What a wonderful camp director. I'm so thankful for Jimmy and other camp directors like him who are willing to sit down and share what they've learned over the years and pass it on to other generations of camp directors to make all camps and all uh, SBCA camps better uh, because of the study and the opportunities that they have had. We can learn from those guys. So don't miss those opportunities to do that. I do apologize for the internet uh, connectivity issues that we had during the call. Jimmy was so gracious for that. Uh, But uh, we will see you back again very, very soon on our next episode of the SBCA podcast. This has been Jeff with the SBCA podcast, praying all the best for you, your camps, and your staff as you seek to give him glory in all that you do. See you next time. The SBCA podcast is a production of the Southern Baptist Camping Association. Our theme song, First Day at Camp, written, produced, and performed by Caleb Gilbert.